A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. guess I should say, this is the Pack Fellow Podcast. I'm Pat Bolger. The worlds have come and the worlds have gone. Have, have gone. Peter Sagan, man, I got so many poems here going, I guess I could say. Peter Sagan is gone. The self-proclaimed man who said he was too fat to finish the race, although as sad as that is to say, because if Peter Sagan is fat, I'm in serious trouble. I have to admit, a part of me, everybody was rooting for I guess I could say a fourth. That would have been pretty cool. But I guess I could say I'm also really, really happy with how the 2018 World Road Championships men's race went down. as an exciting race. I was rooting for Tom Dumoulin. I was rooting for Peter Sagan. And I guess I can walk away saying I'm okay with Alejandro Valverde. Guy's come so close so many times to see him finally pull it off. Is definitely, definitely one that was well-earned. I think you could probably agree. Boy, I had to get that out of the way before I even started the show. Welcome to another episode of the Pack Filler Podcast, you guys. Nice to uh, nice to be back. It's been a short amount of time, but um, we've got a good one today. We've got a good one today. My intro is going to be pretty darn short today because this was, in essence, it was, a, it was a tough one to land. I have to definitely thank Carson Hagen, my producer at large, for putting this one together. He pulled some strings and made some great things happen. And um, it was a basically a three-part interview, although I got it down and I edited her down. I know I never edit my shows, but I had to edit this one because it took three phone call interviews to get this one to happen. We pieced it all together. We made it happen. And it was a great time talking to the one and only legendary Bob Roll. You know who he is. Oh, yeah. 
So before we get to the show, I have to thank my show sponsors, my friends at large, of course, Honey Stinger, honeystinger.com, and Noon Hydration, noonlife.com. And if you haven't checked out our friends over at Fit for Hope, you are missing out. Fit for Hope. Go check them out. Sign up. It gives you something to motivate yourselves to get going. I don't know about you guys with winter coming in. I know cross is here, and I always said I'd be racing cross, but I didn't get fit enough for it. So I'm trying to find ways to motivate myself and get ready for the next season already. And I read an article today that said I should be doing base miles already. Good God, it is October. Oh, well, keeps me from getting too fat for beer. But Fit for Hope, good group. Uh, you can find their group on Facebook. You can find them at their website. And they're uh, good friends of the show, and I wanted to thank them for being a part once again. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let's talk to Bob Roll. All right, everybody, today's guest, well, basically he needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Some could say he's the voice of cycling in the U.S. Other would say he's a wordsmith that has the uncanny ability to make long stages not only interesting, but downright fun. You've read his words, you've heard his voice, and if you've been around, you've probably seen him race. Let's welcome to the podcast, Bob Roll. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. Okay, before we even get to anything like this, and this is something that's been on my mind for years, um, can you please go on the record and give us the correct pronunciation of your nickname? Well, I mean, if it's a Belgian cyclist that I race against, Bobka would probably be uh, accurate, but, you know, Bob Keats fine. Okay, good. The American vernacular. Well, I remember, I could have sworn I saw once upon a time you were trying to keep people to, to pronounce it correctly, and then it just seemed like, oh, screw it. But yeah, that just, that only lasted about an hour. <laughs> so In the 90s. Yeah, okay, okay, well, that's, I just aged myself then. So, <laughs> Me too. Yeah, yeah. So... I got. I got. I always got to start with a little bit of perspective here, and you bring a, a definite perspective and personality to the sport that's pretty much unprecedented. I'm not trying to kiss your ass, I swear. But how did how did cycling enter your life? What what got all this started? I grew up in the Bay Area, and uh, traffic was pretty horrible. It still is, if I'm not mistaken. And <laughs> I just couldn't. I could not. I just couldn't stand, especially when I was younger. I just was sitting in gridlock was just like a death sentence. So to get to my jobs, I would ride my bike and put my bike on the BART area rapid transit. And oh, I yeah. could pretty, uh, you know, easily get anywhere I needed to go in the Bay area. Um, so basically it was just transportation to and from work, which people, you know, it's pretty common nowadays, but that yeah. was almost unheard of. <laughs> nobody, nobody thought of that. I mean, only a few Diehard people were doing that. So that's basically how I started riding bikes was to, just as a substitute for a car. And so how old were you at this time and, and what took you into racing from there? Yeah, I was in my late teens and early twenties and um the the Berkeley bike club, um this I don't know, I just came across them on a training ride or they were on a training ride. I was going to work. <laughs> Uh, you know, you get into a group, you start talking, and, and they were like, you should try some races. So it was basically, they had a, uh evening criterium around an industrial park, and that's where I first started uh, race, actually racing and riding with the club, with the Berkeley Bike Club. So that's how I started racing. 
So, okay, from there, now, how soon was the transition till you were riding at the, at least a domestic top level to even considering walking on to 7-Eleven? Uh, it did not take uh, that long, you know. You know, that I don't know. That was probably two or three years, you know. Really? A couple of years. <laughs> Should have taken longer. I was pretty rough around the edges when I was doing, like, really hard races. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, was there something that just, that they saw in you that was like, holy shit, this guy's got the goods, let's go with it? I mean, it was... Well, was... I was, I, yeah, I was on a small team from NorCal, and we we did a race in, called the Tour of Mexico, and... 7-Eleven was there and they just got tired of chasing me all over <laughs> the hills. <laughs> and at the time the team was growing. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, I mean, it's very different now. You don't yeah. just pick up riders uh, to go do the tour of Italy. That just, you know, that's just not as much, you know, you have to be, it's got, I mean, the rules now are a lot different than they were then. So, um, you, you know, people generally come up from a development program and, yeah you have to be in the biological passport program for months before you can even sign a pro contract. So, uh, it's very different now <laughs> than it was then, but then it was like, Hey, you want to do the tour of Italy? I'm like, yeah, that, <laughs> I'd love to do that. <laughs> okay, fine. You yeah. got my airfare covered. What the hell? Yeah. You know, yeah. Airfare, free meals. <laughs> I'll do it. So and it's funny. The race itself hasn't changed that much, but, uh, the people's, you know, the teams that are invited, that's changed a lot. Yeah. So you, you just, that just couldn't happen nowadays. You know, they announced the teams like seven, eight months, two years beforehand. So, I mean, the, and obviously the world tour teams are automatically selected. So it's not, it's nothing like it was then. And, and the race director could invite anybody they wanted to, you know, they, uh, and that was a big difference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's now, and that's a big you know, big difference in the sport. So all those world tour teams, you know, they have really involved, uh, development programs and a network of people that they work with to find younger riders to be a part of that. And national teams compete. It's much more organized now. And those freewheeling days are for better or worse, you know, (laughs) no longer with us, but it was fun. It was fun for me. I don't know if I would have been able to do it if, uh, in the current system. I don't know if it would have worked out for me. Really? So I'm pretty happy the way it turned out. Yeah. Shit. Well, and, and you're talking about how things have changed and Seven Eleven's involvement in the pro Peloton brought about, at least from, from my perspective, from the outside, quite a bit of changes. That team was, uh, kind of shake, shook up the model were you guys aware of what was going on to the sport by your involvement at the time, or am I over-romanticizing this? Well, it was, just, it was more a function of necessity than, uh, you know, we didn't have any idea. We had, a, we had some goals, but, like, you know, an actual agenda or a strategy, that, that we didn't have anything like that. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was not... Yeah, it was... Well, okay, guys, today, <laughs> yeah. hope you can not get killed. Good <laughs> luck. That was bit, we didn't have meetings. Now the, the meetings now are so involved and tactical, and yeah, and and there's so much course knowledge. We we didn't know what was around any corner for <laughs> f- 
five, six, seven years. We had no idea what was going to happen next. Really? And it was not the same, you know, now you can, you can go on Strava and find the most minute details of climbs they haven't even used in a grand tour yet. Now, I mean, that was, nobody had that kind of knowledge. So until you rode up it, you never knew what it was like. And obviously the European riders had some more experience at that, but uh, that's changed a lot. And so every corner was a new experience. Wow. Uh, so it was impossible to strategize, but it was like, okay, guys. Uh, and and it also the sport has changed a lot. There wasn't like early break goes for publicity. Yeah. Sprinters teams and GC team chases sprint mountain days, you know, who knows what's going to happen, yeah. but the, the team with the Jersey just does the tempo like that. We never did a tempo. We're like, are you crazy? We can't do tempo. Yeah. <laughs> You get dropped on the next climb. We can't do any tempo. We just hang in there, guys. I mean, that, so our strategy was simpler, but a lot more exciting. And it worked out a lot of times. So obviously the talent was there. So, yeah, I mean, and the guys on the team, I don't know if they would have adapted that well. So, I mean, now, and, and please don't take this as an insult. And I, I, I first of all, I was, I, I read winning. I read Velo News. I read all those publications as a, when I was younger, and I and I would I would follow all of you guys over there. You always seem to yeah. kind of be the again. I don't mean this wrong. Kind of a class ca- clown or even the rebel of the group. Um, but you're per, you were incredibly persistent, Bob. At every single race result, I would always see your name go, going across the line. Was that a <laughs> conscious decision? Like screw this, I'm finishing no matter what. Mm, I mean, we wanted somebody to finish. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes, that was I was the only person that could do that. So, what was so it? I mean, that was sort of separate. It was sort of separate, the goofing around all the time. You know. <laughs> so okay, so uh, that uh, that is. I'm sorry, that is kind of like two questions. So did that yeah. did that personality trait ring true in the team bus and stuff like that? Were you the guy who was kind of? Well, there, there was no buses. We didn't. There was no team buses. Oh, okay. So that, yeah, true. RVs or whatever the hell you had, or just cars. No, we had cars. Yeah, we had little cars, little <laughs> sedans, five five guys each. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a hard job. Yeah. And it's there's a lot of skull drudgery, you know. It's there's a lot of, you know, it mostly misery, and there, it's punctuated by unbelievable levels of joy. But <laughs> you know that I I always figured. You know, you could train better if you were in a good mood. And, you know, having some fighting spirit is is essential to anybody that's racing bikes. Yeah. So, you know, if that manifests itself as cracking jokes and just to keep the team spirits... I mean, I, I had bad days too. It wasn't like all goofing around, but yeah, yeah. we definitely had a much more interesting dinner <laughs> conversations. And, and, you know, usually you don't do good. That's just 99%. Even if you're Peter Sagan, you do a hundred races and you win five, yeah. you know, that's like <laughs> the win loss record is horrible in bike racing. So, if you didn't win a race and you're on a European team and they were like, which is 99% of your season, they were like, 
you know, all in a bad mood. They're all grumpy, sitting around. And we, <laughs> and they would always look at us, and we never won anything either, but at least we were laughing the whole time. So, <laughs> so, so I, I, I like the way our team, you know, I, I like the way our team handled those situations. You know, you can go for weeks and weeks and weeks without a win. Like, EF got their first win in the Vuelta yeah. in the World Tour all year. That's like, wow. Yeah. What are you going to do for the first eight months of the season? <laughs> you know, be sad. Yeah, yeah. So was there any specific, was it just kind of verbal comedy or did it get any far beyond that? No, no, just just, just, just cracking jokes. jokes. Okay, okay. They're too tired to do any sort of physical <laughs> shenanigans. There was no pre-play. No yeah. There's nowhere to go, <laughs> and you're too exhausted, even if there was somewhere to go. Yeah. It's just not, it's just not uh, you know. I mean, other, other athletes get into all kinds of trouble after hours. <laughs> you know, other professional athletes. Oh, yeah. But, it, but that's never... You don't ever hear of almost ever. Even the whole history of the sport is just a handful of times. Everybody's just too blasted, you know, just too, just too exhausted. <laughs> you know, there's no going to the clubs. You know, they're just, <laughs> you, just, you know, go to dinner and then you know, massage dinner bed. Like, yeah. When it's a world cup, sometimes the European guys would watch the matches on TV in the lobby. That's as crazy as it ever got. As far as. (laughs) 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 So it, 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 you know, and it, it, it attracts a different, not a different type of person, but you definitely change. Even if you have that, you know, exuberance or mischievousness. You just, that gets hammered out of you pretty quickly. <laughs> well, yeah, you probably wouldn't even get to that level in the first place if you had a tendency to go no, out yeah. you know, and hit the clubs yeah, and things like that. Yeah, if you were out goofing around, yeah. Yeah. So you, uh, you would spend six weeks recuperating from one night. <laughs> That'd be your whole career would be over in yeah. two years. <laughs> okay, good point. Good point. So, of all the teammates, the com- competitors, and the and the champions that you rode with and against, are there are there any you had the higher ends of respect for? I mean, that just kind of mm. stood out. You know, all the guys were fantastic. Honestly, like the guys that came through the program were invariably you know, great guys. We still stay in touch with each other. Yeah. Um, uh, it's hard to, Eric Heinen was a, just a, absolutely awesome teammate. And he brought us so much cachet professionally. Yeah. Davis, Davis Finney was just a, a wonderful person as well as an incredible competitor. And Jeff Pierce and Ron Kiefel and Roy Nickman and Roy Alcala. I mean, it was a very high quality people, and you know, I don't. They just what, you know, never didn't even hi, like hire anybody that was, I don't know, uncouth person. I don't even know how to. So yeah, how about it was good. It how was about, good. How about some of the people who were on other teams? Were there ones you held high respect for, it, or even ones you were like, that guy is a complete douchebag? Sean Sean Kelly stands out as a good one. 
yeah, he yeah. was like well, always like right yeah. there, always. Yeah, he was just so. It was it was so good to race at the same time. He was at his best. It was, and it was just a really nice person, also. You know, just an incredibly tough competitor. So anybody who you thought was a little too tight, tightwad to to any kind of oh, any, man, were there any the, jerks? That's a that's an unlimited number. That <laughs> will be here for days. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> so so there were good guys and there were bad guys. There were some knuckleheads. For okay. Sure, yeah. <laughs> okay. And you don't. You Nobody don't hassled to, me too much, but. Okay. You don't have to throw anybody under the bus. That's of course so. Yeah. So were, believe me. <laughs> are there are there any um, moments you look at the current cyclists in the peloton and you think to yourself, maybe man, these kids have it so easy, or do you think, holy crap, it's so brutal? Thank God, I. I oh, am no, no, no I never. I never think that. Never. Really. Every time I'm like, oh, I'm glad I'm talking about this rather than doing it every <laughs> single time every race almost every day is it the intensity or 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 is, is there something that's changed well, they about go it? so fast and yeah and so yeah. intense so hard you know like the volta every day i'm like oh my thank god i don't have to do this for money <laughs> every day is like a battle for survival and the tour is the same way like oh they're going so fast so hard for so long you just you know, day after day, week after week, and I'm just like every time I can't, can't believe I'm getting paid to talk about this. This is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Do you equate it to age being a little bit more perspective? I mean, if you were at that age now, would you probably be out there? Or do you um, just like, yeah? I mean, no. if I was aspiring, I'd be yeah. like drooling all over what the guys are going through. But yeah, not yeah. I mean, even then, you're like, ooh, that looks hard. Yeah. So, you know, so it's all good. In, in Motorola was was a, a obviously a sponsor shift uh, within the team. Was there a, any type of a mentality shift within the team when that when that changed well, happened the, to Eleven? When Mike Neal Mike Neal uh, moved on and Henny Kuiper took over, it definitely changed. We they became a more of a European program, uh, less of an American program. So for not for the better, honestly. Yeah. Oh really? Okay. In, in so in '92, then you jumped ship from that and you entered into mountain bike racing. So what yeah. was there something that prompted that decision? I just wanted to try something else. You know, it'd been yeah. eight years pro in Europe. You know, which yeah, I you know it wasn't any one thing specific, but, but it was. It, I wanted to move on, honestly. Yeah. How was that experience? Was shifting from road to mountain? What was it like? The scene uh, it, was, it was fun. It was yeah. it was great. I loved it. Yeah, I had a blast. It, it, was there a specific point when you decided, you know what, screw this, enough is enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up the wheels and go into something else. Yeah, you know, towards the end of the '90s, I was like, wow, this is, this is too hard. These guys are going too fast. I yeah. got to do something else. <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, also, I was, you know, 38 years old, so it's like, <laughs> you can't race forever. <laughs> don't, don't say that. 
Oh. Horner can, but mere mortals can. <laughs> okay. Horner can race so he's ninety or so. He'll yeah, be racing pro. He probably will. Late eighty, so. <laughs> so so there are a couple moments, uh, you know, towards the, that tail end of your career that were pretty pretty pivotal. I mean, and and I don't mean this to team in terms of results, but there's that legendary training camp with Lance and Boone that was a definite. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was a huge moment. You were asked to be on that trip for a specific reason. So could you tell us what that reason was and how did you well, help? I Lance? think everybody else was busy because. You know, <laughs> honestly, everyone else was busy. So I, I was just in between mountain bike races. So it was all right. Now, really? You don't think it was just because, I mean, what was your relationship no, it, with Lance? Yeah, they were all racing. All of his teammates were at races. So <laughs> so he just you just happened to be the last man standing? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> See, because all of us conspiracy theorists, you know, think it's it was some sort of a, you were there for some sort of a motivational boost, no. you know, to keep the guy going. No? It's no, I've had to. That's been a sort of legend, but yeah. it's not actually true. Well, crap! And there go my dreams. <laughs> so, okay, then let's let's shift gears. At what point did you start to realize that you had a specific and a distinctive voice and a perspective on the sport, and and maybe even started to dabble in with writing and and moving into this broadcast? Well, I start still working on that. That hasn't, that epiphany hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but, no, dude, I used to read your column all the time, and it was... Well, that it, was simultaneous to racing. Was like, it? Okay. Yeah, there was no, oh, I'm going to be a... Yeah, I'm going to move. I, that was just pure happenstance. I didn't never plan on that, not one bit. Did they contact you? Know, you that was like, would you like to try this? I'm like, yeah, I'll try that. That sounds good. Really? I'll try, give it a try for the weekend, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was like 20 years ago. So and and it didn't grow into. And at what point did you realize maybe I could I could do this? Or, you know, I, I know you're as, as you uh, say. Yeah, that you know. hasn't happened yet. Still, <laughs> Come on, still man! Still in the winter. Did yeah, you know, true, true fact. Because you're I'm trying you're, to avoid that. You're trying to avoid working in the winter. No, I'm trying to avoid the the idea that this is some sort of career. You know, really. The t- the t- it, helps, it keeps me it keeps me working hard on it too. Okay, I, what I kind of wanted to ask you about, if you don't mind, is is your perspective on the sport in terms of its growth, in terms of the state of the of cycling in the U.S. and its sustainability here. There's a lot going on in this country right now. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, you know my my little corner of the sport it's pretty uh, it's it's kind of an interesting hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
it's interesting to promote a sport or not, you know, yeah. at least be a part of the understanding of it where the, the people involved are, are not necessarily the most successful <laughs> <laughs> uh, participants in the sport, which is pretty unique. It would seem to me, you know, yeah. when Americans are doing good in the Olympics, the network shows those events. That's true. Yeah. You know, like swimming, gymnastics, track and field. Uh, so cycling is sort of in a, the sport of cycling. Now, I'm not yeah. talking about, you know, the activity of cycling, which is, you know, yeah. it kind of grows and like pretty consistently um, as more people try it out. So, but the, the actual sport, the high end of professional level of the sport, is that it, it's sort of a inexplicable place whereby it's popular, even in spite of the fact that we don't have somebody winning the Tour de France consistently. So yeah. that's uh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, and Americans have somehow acquired an appreciation of the Tour de France. It's sort of you know, some of it's left over, obviously, from Greg LeMond and Lance Armstrong's success, yeah. but also the way it's covered is is pretty exceptional. Um, and so the fans we have are they're just fans because they love the sport, not because uh, Americans are dominating the Tour de France, which, you know, it's been a long time, actually, at this point. It's been, I think, 13 yeah. years, 13, 14. I mean, if you include... Lance Armstrong's yeah. uh, wins, which they happen, so I include them. Yeah. <laughs> but still, even if you include those, it's a long, long time since we've had uh, somebody in the yellow jersey or somebody winning stages. And It's um, not to say it won't happen again at some point, but it, you know, short term and the recent, recent past, it's just not, this is not to what we have to work with. So we've tried to provide, uh, um, you know, the best possible coverage of what is a really beautiful sport. And, and because I think that because NBC does such a good job, the, the sport continues to be popular, which is really, you know, it's in its own way, as cool as when, uh, Americans were winning consistently. So yeah. it's, you know, it's hopeful. I, I, I just it's ho- it's hopeful to see how devoted the fans are. Yeah. Uh, in spite of the fact that we don't have any sort of uh, success <laughs> from. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> at least at the highest, the highest level of the tour. So yeah. that's been pretty cool, honestly. It's been yeah. fun to to be a part of it when it was wildly successful yeah. and about you know i mean maybe a little bit more popular but to be honest about the same you know so yeah it's been, well, it's been great to see both ends of it yeah but then domestically we're also starting you know we're seeing the the creation of some of these races like the colorado classic and things like that that were just uh, it's super exciting but the sustainability fades out and um and at a regional 
level, I don't know what your experience is with that because you're probably off to these the bigger ones, but at the regional level, we're seeing numbers that are, I don't know what it's, I mean, you're in probably in Colorado most of the time, so that you're seeing probably good numbers there, but everywhere else, it doesn't seem to be doing as well, especially in the classic style of race, road race, time trial, crit, whatever it may be. We're seeing a growth in gravel and things like that, but... yeah. You know, we, we can't maintain these events in this country. Do you think it's just simply because the European culture and the fans are so embedded and so lifelong? That it's more popular there? or Yeah, or why we can't, or why here in the States we're running into these roadblocks trying to build mm-hmm. the sport domestically? Yeah, there's some impediments we have that they don't have in Europe um, as far as logistics go. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, the road closures and you know that not just cycling but like people just don't you know like if you try to do a parade or a roundup where you have to use public roads you know even though in durango they've had roundups since the 1890s that people or close the main street you know for a block party people just don't want to do that so that i think that's a part of the access issue so uh, if you're a race promoter the the challenges you have are exponentially more difficult than they have in europe where they'll close the road for anything they're happy to close the road <laughs> you know they, I, we were at the end of the tour in a southwest corner of france and it happened to be in the basque country and it happened to be the last weekend of the running of the Bulls in Pamplona, which even though it's hundreds of miles away, it was still pandemonium and all the roads were closed. <laughs> and we're like trying to get to the hotel and we're like, the roads are, what, why did the roads close? It's not even the tour is not even here. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> there's a festival 200 miles away <laughs> in the, in the Spanish Basque country. Okay. I think it's that's <laughs> Jeez, yeah. reason enough. So American race promoters have a much more challenging landscape to, to put a race on. Um, and that's not likely to change, you know, on a municipal level for a long time. So if, if you don't have a wildly enthusiastic community, it's very tough to put a event on for more than five, 10 years. Yeah. Uh, tour of California has been pretty lucky. Uh, tour of Utah has an excellent business model when the local merchants and local local homegrown Utah-wide um, businesses are sponsors of the event. So if we want to, you know, maybe engender a more sustainable race series somewhere, the local communities have to be a part of it. And whoever shows up is, you know, California, sometimes they have the big Europeans, sometimes they don't, but Utah, you know, very rarely gets big European names and they have a very successful event year in and year out on a great business model. So I don't, uh, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure how you start a race and expect it to last for 25, 30 years. Some of them do, you know, Schwamigan, uh, a mountain bike point to point race in Wisconsin, I think is 35th year or 40th year or something like that. There's 37th year or something. And that's a sort of local, um, uh, everybody in both of the communities, uh, Hayward and Cable, they look forward to it all year long. And so if you can do that, I think you probably have a successful event. 
if you can find something that the people that are inconvenienced by a change in the the, the regular uh, community transportation and and business, you know, business yeah. interruptions, then I don't know, it's probably do pretty good. But yeah. it's hard to hard to keep going. It just and, yeah. I mean, it just seems like without. Yeah, I'm sure it's hard going for a lot of event promoters. Yeah. It just seems like in the States here we're running into this. Either you're putting on a Fondo with plenty of food stops and the roads are still open, or you're you're pointing yourself towards a remote location, or you're doing, um, which is growing in popularity, stuff like cyclocross or, or a crit or something like that yeah. where, you're, where you're only causing minimal impact. And, and Yeah, crits are always going to be popular. Yeah, yeah. so it just it, seems like the sport a, has to change. Staple of American racing, yeah. you know. Then some come and some go, but you yeah. know, crits are perfect for the United States. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. So it just and they like... develop really good bike racers. The young yeah. kids that are racing crits now, they have all the skills they need if they have the talent to move to the next level. So that part of the sport, I'm not worried about at all. It's fantastic. And, yeah. and Criterion Racing is how a lot of us got started. You know, yeah. you just had you had where I grew up in California you know, five crits per weekend to choose from. And uh, it might be a few less than that, but I'm sure there's no shortage of criterions. And uh, so I I think about it like if you want to race, you're going to figure out how to do it. Yeah. You know, if you want to enjoy riding your bike, we have billion miles of roads to do that too. So um, it's not easy. It's not an easy business to, you know, there's much easier businesses to get, rich in if you're a gifted person so (laughs) and that's not that's never changing that's the true for the tour it's not you know that's true the budget compared to formula one is 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 minuscule and and they reach something like 400 times more people you know every day so uh if you can if you're committed to poverty bike Cycling is for you. That's your <laughs> going to be. That's your activity. Yes. And uh, Lance and I talk about this a lot. He's like, uh, you know, especially in the day when he was, uh, you know, racing and yeah. training still. Like, I'm trying to shake the money tree roll. What's the story? I'm like, don't ask me. <laughs> don't look at me, man. <laughs> but the the satisfaction of riding your bike every day, yeah. or to work, or to train, or to just enjoy outside it just is nothing like it and that's sort of what sustains me <laughs> when yeah. when the events are canceled and there's no prize money and teams fold up and uh you know it's challenging but yeah. it's worth it right on so can i let me ask you a nostalgic question here and it doesn't have to be nostalgic i, I what i was going to say is if there is a period of or an era of cycling that you've experienced through your through your life on the bike off the bike as a commentator is there a, just a, a golden era of cycling you could you could pick just right off the top of your head i kind of like the mountain bike race scene in the 90s okay. you know starting in the late 80s early early 90s and going through you know 2000 that was maybe 100,000 spectators at Norba in Big yeah. Bear. It was crazy. Yeah. And it was really fun to be a part of that. And it was a tight knit community and uh a lot of support for the riders and you know the women's events were as popular, if not more popular than the men's events and um uh it was just 
and the, the you know families would come camp out for a weekend. Yeah. It was fantastic. That was my favorite era so far. But who knows? No, that's <laughs> maybe the twenty twenties. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that's a gr- actually that's a great. I do you know I I remember those years very vividly. Here in the I live in the northwest, and we had a lot of those events through mm-hmm. this area. And man, they were yeah. That was a great time. So can I yeah. l- let me ask awesome. you a couple things about your commentator life? Um, first of all, is it as glamorous as it looks, or is it absolutely horrific and brutal? No, it's it's not, it's fun. It's a blast. It is. But with the, you pretty, know, when, pretty, when you're at the tour, it's it's hard. It's not you know it's not easy, right. but it is. It's really really exciting. It's a, uh, I'm, it might it's arduous. It's maybe more arduous than it seems yeah. just watching it. Uh, but it's really really fun. It's <laughs> it's exciting. It, you get carried away with. Um just how thrilling it is how many people are there um the intensity of everybody's experience the riders and their staff and the people you know aso putting it on and the fans obviously that come out and all of the the media that's following it and and covering it it's really it's it's (laughs) there is there is nothing like it. It's yeah. amazing. I mean, the Giro's not even, or the Vuelta's not like it. Those are like business-like. You know, you go raise fans, you know, but the yeah. tour is it's just a whole nother. Really? You know, to be there and get to cover it has just been a phenomenal experience for me. And you've worked almost every aspect of that NBC coverage. I've seen you um, pre- and post-race running around getting interviews. I've seen yeah. you at the main desk. I've seen you doing what we would call play-by-play. Um, you've outdone everything but hopped in Perino's seat on the motor, I think. Um, it, <laughs> is there anything that you like, oh, my God, this is the best part of this gig. I wish I could just do this all the time. I just I get such a great feeling of satisfaction when we've covered We've had a guest on the on the set, let's say, and yeah. uh, that goes well. Um, we captured all of the. We told the right stories at the right moment. Um, uh, just at the end of the day, when you put the microphone down and you hit all your marks, it's fantastic. That's my, and that's just almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> not to be. Not, not to be uh, <laughs> braggadocio about it, but yeah. when I mean, and also it's not just Phil, it's not just Pino, you know, it's yeah. not just Yinsey, you know, it's everybody, it's the whole team and everybody's perspective, and you get an incredible, like, comprehensive level of understanding about the sport when you watch our broadcast. You watch our Tour de France broadcast you're going to know a lot about the sport at the end of three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And that to me, is really, really satisfying. That's a very good feeling. When you get back to Paris and you've covered the race, it's, a, you know, said the right things at the right time. Yeah. And everybody gets a chance to contribute. It's fantastic. Is it an ad lib kind of a situation where you're just, you're just, or are you taking turns? Is it like, okay, you talk until you're mm-hmm. tired and then you keep rotating through? With a pretty polite group. Vocal pace know, line. Say. Yeah. I, I, when I watch other sports, the coverage of other sports, I'm, sometimes I'm totally mortified about how, <laughs> <laughs> how they interact with each other. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, <laughs> you know, I love watching Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley. <laughs> 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 I just, 
I think that it, they have plenty of time to do that. Yeah. We don't, uh, you know, the, the sport of cycling moves so quickly. We don't have a halftime, you know, yeah. we can't, you can't really devote a half an hour just of pure talking. It would be nice if you could, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it gets, I don't know, have they gotten heated recently? I haven't noticed that, you know, it's just yeah. good natured and I, yeah. it's very entertaining. And yeah. I, I try to kind of find the best part of whatever discussion we're having, you know, the most entertaining and the most uh, engaging and the most like to have a common agreement, you know, to have, you know, to compromise from each ends uh, and find something to agree upon is what I try to do, Yeah, uh, which is not always the case in a lot of sports commentary. <laughs> well, and, and filling that time, and there are a lot of times on those longer stages where I'm just going, holy shit, how are they going to keep this going? Because, I mean, there's, you know, a long you know, a transfer stage in the tour where we've got a break yeah. with nine minutes and I'm going, okay, how the, you, you guys seem to fill it. And I just keep wondering how the hell that that's either somebody's handing you copy over your shoulder and giving you just random stuff to talk about, or you no, guys just help the each days, other. Out. The days go pretty quickly. Uh, you know, yeah. that stage, you know, when the breakaway gets, gets 11 minutes and there's yeah. 17 guys and the field is, you know, nobody's high on GC. I did. I, I still find those stages fascinating also. Yeah. Um, and in, in some ways it's, if you can point out the art form of finding the breakaway and what the team strategy is and, and then each step the stage winner takes along the way to achieve that, it's very, it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I actually want more, I, <laughs> which is maybe hard to imagine, but I want like more details from the, the rotation. And, uh, and so as the race goes across the countryside, even it's 220 kilometer stage from, you know, from to link up the Alps and the Pyrenees. And after two weeks, you're just like, Wow. Yeah. It's funny at the in the morning I'm like, wow, whole oh, this can be a long day, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then once the racing starts, it it's it's infinitely fascinating. And the guy believe me, the guys, you know, the people the men and women in the Peloton, it's never boring. Not one mile. Yeah. So if so it's 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 not that hard, honestly, to be enthused for the whole stage. Do you find it difficult? You to... couldn't do that by yourself, obviously, but yeah. with the, the guy, the people we have, it, it goes by really quickly. Do you find you have to, I can only imagine as, let's say, example, as a teacher, you're teaching to the smartest kids in the class, but you also have to teach to the kids in the class who have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and your broadcast has got to cover that whole range of people. When you say GC, yeah. somebody who doesn't know what the hell GC stands for, to somebody who wants to talk with just intricate details. We try to sneak it around <laughs> for both 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 ends of the spectrum yeah. can meet in the middle. Yeah. It, you can't every single time you say GC, you can't stop yourself and say, 
when I say GC, what I mean is the overall yeah. general classification that is being led by the person in the yellow jersey. That oh, is God. not possible either. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and if you listen, Jen, the broader strokes are in the first part of the race, you know, the first few days. And I try to go back and remind people of some of the nuanced language that you're, you know, like my grandma would never understand. Like, <laughs> like it would sound like Martian. <laughs> it's not my grandmother for, yeah. per se. She yeah. would have known everything. Cause, she, <laughs> cause when you're, you know, racing, then you just kind of have the, you know, the whole family has all of those, that terminology oh, God, yeah. in the back of their minds yeah. all the time. So, and then as it goes along towards the last few days, you know, you can say, gee, and everybody will know you're talking about Garen Thomas. Yeah. You know, the first week of the tour, you can't say G. Yeah. Even though that's what we all, when we talk about him, we, it's all we say, hey, G did this today. Yeah. Um, and you just, you know, you have to have to keep in mind your audience and what their understanding is. And, you know, if you were to, if you were to dumb it down so that a person that had never seen cycling before would had just happen to tune in. Yeah on the last mountain stage, that would not, that just wouldn't the people would be, you know, you know, that yeah. the, <laughs> well, the people have been watching it the whole time for the last 10 years would yeah. not be stoked. So balance <laughs> is really important in that. And, yeah. You know, it's like watching, that you, you know, you, it's like watching the old series of twin peaks, man. If you haven't done your homework, you know, you've had two and a half <laughs> weeks to do your homework. You know, if you don't know what the lady yeah. with the log is, you know, you, you got to just go back and watch the past yeah. episodes. So, <laughs> Um, and I, my next question is, is my last one about the commentary and stuff like that. And, and if you don't want to answer that, you're fine. My it's the team is set. The team has been solid. You guys have built a great broadcast group. Um, how much, what would ever happen if Phil should ever look at you guys and say, you know what, I'm going to go buy a freaking place in Miami. I'm done. Um, is there, are you the guy to step into that seat? Do you think? I'm not sure what's going to happen if that happens. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't see I don't see it happening soon. Um, you got the play-by-play yeah. skills, man. You got the play-by-play skills. Well, it's funny, Phil and Paul. They're they kind of do both roles. Yeah, it's it's a little bit different than a lot of similar, um, you know, sports commentating teams. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. It ha- you know, if if Paul moved into Phil's role, theoretically, um, you know, hypothetically speaking, yeah. then somebody would have to be sitting next to him. So who that person is, um, that that might happen while I'm still working. It might not. <laughs> you know, Phil could. I yeah, I can see him doing this ten years longer. You know. He's gonna no be like problem. he's gonna be like the Paul Harvey of cycling. I mean, he's going strong. It sounds great. He's, yeah, you know, it's, I don't see why not. I wouldn't if I was NBC. I would not change that. No way. He's an icon, you know. And, and so I, I don't. I, Phil is never mentioned. You know, hanging up the microphone anytime soon. Wow. So wow. 
Okay. I mean, hopefully that doesn't happen. I like the way it is, honestly. <laughs> Good. Good. No, hey. As for, for the coverage, hopefully he stays for as long as, you know, as long as he wants to. Yeah. So I, I, I got two short questions left. What, what, what's your ride time look like? What, what, first of all, you look, uh, you look like you lost a shit ton of weight at the start of the tour this year. It was just like, Jesus, Bob's training for something. I'm not saying you were fat before, <laughs> mind you, but it was like, holy crap, Bob's training his ass off. Is, is, is there bike this, time? It, yeah. I wasn't, you know, uh, I was not that, not that light. At the start of the tour this year, you fooled me. Honestly, like on the scale, yeah, yeah. Um, two years ago was, you know, I had actually started to ride a lot more, and started then from from two from three years ago to two years ago, and two years ago, and this is June of 2016. Okay. I was like five pounds lighter than I was at the start of this year's tour. So that's when. I was like skinny, you know, <laughs> so now it's more normal. Wow. And for a while, it also depends on the desk and the, you know, what I look like, honestly, in person has not changed in like 15 years. <laughs> 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 and uh, maybe people around me get keep getting broader. I don't know. <laughs> the, the camera adds ten pounds for everybody but you, apparently, or something. Like yeah, that. I'm in the middle, so they get the the curve of the lens <laughs> on their side of the depth. Fish eye vision or the, something like that. I get the narrow, <laughs> the, the the more vertical lens. <laughs> right, right. Okay, this is it then. So uh, this is my my question that I like to ask everybody who's into the cycling world, and I hope you I know you'll have something great because you've got the wit. If you could pick a bike, a place, and a person to ride with, what, where, and who would that be? Dream set, dream think, scenario, uh, living or dead, yeah. bike, whatever. It would be fun to to ride the hills of Toscana with Leonardo da Vinci. That would be nice. <laughs> Okay. And, and 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 Sophia Loren. That'd be great. <laughs> okay. I don't, on on any particular bike. Oh, it'd have to be something Italian, I guess. Yeah. But not <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, not and, you know, if it's got two wheels and a chain, I'm going. You're going. <laughs> you, I'm I'm pretty you can't really you you would have a hard time stopping me. <laughs> Right. Okay. That I'm. I'm saying between Sophia Loren and Da Vinci, that honestly was the best combination we've had to answer that question yet. And I'm not kissing your ass. I promise. So, nice, <laughs> nice, nice answer. Well, Bob, I want to thank you. We, you know, we we had we 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 got three calls in, and we we got through a, a full uh, full interview. Yeah. And and your life is a schedule is just. I can only imagine how busy you are, and I can't thank you enough for your time, ma'am. Pleasure. Yeah, and keep. Keep kicking ass on TV because you're you're the reason why some people are are becoming bike riders. They love the you know, and I again I'm not kicking ass, kissing ass. It's just it's a matter of it's it's entertainment, and you and it seems that you get that. You're keeping the entertainment issue rolling. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks. 
So there you have it, everybody, the one and only Bob Roll. Big thanks to Bob for putting a, a good amount of time into making this interview happen. I had to make three phone calls in order to fit it around his ever-so-busy schedule, but it was nice getting a chance to talk to Bob and get his perspective. Once again, big thank to also to the one and only Karsten Hagen, producer extraordinaire, for helping make that episode and many of these episodes possible. Good man. I don't care what everybody else says. That was an inside joke. Hey, speaking of Karsten, um, I... I've had a lot of people asking me about that episode of Bike Town up in that we shot our first episode in Bend, Oregon. Was hoping to get a couple more episodes in the can before we release that one, but you know what? The seasons are changing, and so we're going to definitely get that that piece out to you guys soon. So be sure and stay tuned to the website and all those sorts of things. Speaking of the website, be sure and check us out at packfiller.com. Click on those links for all our sponsors. We are on Facebook. We are on, oh my God, we're on every little social media. If you just search the word packfiller, you're going to find it. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and all that wonderful stuff I'm supposed to say at the end of a podcast. If you're in the middle of a cross season, I applaud you. I tried to train for for cyclocross this year, but just life got in the way, and I don't know if I want to go out and cough up a lung for an hour when I'm not ready for it. But I have put the goals together, and we're going to hopefully see uh, my fat ass at some start lines this year. I hope so. I think it's time. There we go. You guys will talk to you later on the next episode of the Pack Filler Podcast. 